There are two parts to the message today. The first part, basically, is um, information and um, just sharing what I believe God has spoken to me about recent events in our nation. But the second part of the message is uh, for encouragement because I am encouraged. And so um, listen prayerfully to the information. Weigh it in your spirit. And then heed the word of God to us as a body of believers as God encourages us in these days. I I wrote most of this out. I'm I'm not going to tie myself to it. But I wanted to be sure I said what I felt I was supposed to say. You know, Friday, June the 26th was a dark day in the life of our nation. One person remarked, today we saw the death of a nation as we, saw, as we knew it. It was a dark day because five Supreme Court justices ignored the true meaning of marriage and and the Constitution. They ignored the Constitution. And these five judges, out of their own prejudices and liberal beliefs, declared that marriage as created by God was not the only marriage recognized by God and defined marriage in their own image and according to their own liberal beliefs. In doing so, as they made this decision, violating the word of God, they, in doing so, they greatly sinned against God. And they greatly sinned against this nation. Because, you know, on, on our money, we have the words, and God we trust. Their decision to ignoring the constitutional as it is really written, greatly undermines the family as defined by God and does great damage to the moral fiber of our nation. However, these justices and those who agreed with them and those they represented will soon realize that They invited the judgment of God on themselves and on this nation. And so we're where we are because five judges who three times have voted the same way, and I'm going to talk to you about 2013, out of their own liberal beliefs, out of their own lack of faith, made a decision that invited the judgment of God on them, and on us as a nation. You know, the book of Jude, uh, as you read it, really is disturbing. And I'm not going to dwell on this part, but I would be wrong if if I did not tell you how that this decision invited the judgment of God on us as a nation. And, 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 you know, 
many of us on Friday saw, saw a rainbow, saw rainbows. And, of course, you know rainbows are the colors of the uh, LBGT, whatever you call it, movement. And, uh, but also it's a, it's a promise from God. The rainbow reminds us that God does judge people. Because the rainbow was given to promise the people he would never judge the world again by a flood. But it, and so it, it, it had its reminder that judgment is real, but that God would never judge the earth in the same way again. And, and it was a reminder of us that God keeps his promises. Now that is good when the promises of God are blessing. But it's disturbing when the promises of God are judgment. And I read out of Jude 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He delivered them, but then some did not believe and he destroyed them. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of of eternal fire. Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, listen to this, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. And so God said that Sodom and Gomorrah were reminders that God judges sexual sin. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned 14 times in the Bible, 14. All 14 times they're used reminding us of the judgment of God. And so, having no knowledge of who God is and of his word, these people ruled and therefore just basically invited the judgment of God upon them and upon our nation. And the disturbing thing is, when God says he's going to do something, he does it. You say, Brother Fred, but I, I, I hated that decision. I wanted no part of that decision. Amen. I know that. But we're living in a nation that has basically gone its own way. And said, though, therefore, when judgment comes, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You say, Brother Fred, how does God bring judgment on a nation or on a group of people? Well, all you got to do is look in the Old Testament and see God's dealing with Israel. And God always used three things. And by the way, are you listening? The purpose of judgment was always to turn the people back to God. Judgment never had the end purpose to destroy them. Judgment was always used by God to call Israel to repentance and to turn them back to God. Now, three things God has always used in judging a people or a nation First of all, he's used the environment, storms, famines, pestilences, 
And, and you notice that in our nation in recent years, that storms go from east to west. And I know we've always had storms, but they seem to be in increasing intensity. And it seems like every time you look at the nightly news, they say, well, it's out in Colorado and it's moving toward the east coast. Tornadoes and millions are in its path. So God judges by the environment. But also God brings judgment through the economy. When Israel would disobey God, they would go through times of drought, times of of physical need, and 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 that was God's judgment on them. Not only the the uh, environment, but the economy. And, and what happened was He would use that to get their attention. And I am absolutely convinced that there's one thing the people in America understand: it's their pocketbook. And when you touch their pocketbook, they know it. And so there's without question, you know. The rainbow says God keeps his promises. And so judgment is coming. It will be through the environment. And it will be upon the economy without question. But also through their enemies. Now we saw that in September 9-11. When they destroyed the ten twin towers. Blew up the Pentagon. All those things. We, we saw that God put the head, took the hedge down and allowed the enemies to come in against us. And even now we live with the constant threat, threat of terrorism, not only from without, but from within. And so all I'm saying to you is this. This decision was the judges invited the judgment of God on themselves and on this nation. Well, but let's move on and let's, get to the point where God's going to encourage us. I want us to review how we got here. Now, we just didn't wake up one day in America and five ungodly judges say, okay, it's good and right for a man to marry a man, and it's good and right for a woman to marry a woman. We just didn't wake up one day and that happened. Oh, no, it was a process. And many, many who had an agenda have worked diligently to accomplish that process. Some, someone reminded me that pretty, this is pretty close. In same-sex marriage, there could possibly be 285,000 same-sex couples that would be married as a result of this, at the maximum 300,000. Now, that's 600,000 people among a nation of 280 million. How did that small group of people impose their will? Now, there are many that agree who are lost and are liberal, but how did they impose their will on us? How could they do that? They are a real, real minority. How did they do it? Well, let me tell you exactly how they did it. You know, What we're battling is the rule of darkness. I call it the rule of darkness. I want you to listen to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And, and it's a very, very enlightening passage to let us know the battle that we're fighting. All right, listen to verse 19. 
And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, Jesus. And that men love darkness, love darkness, rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light. They hate the light. They won't come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So we're battling the rule of darkness. We're battling the powers of darkness. On June 26, stay with me now, 2013, these same five judges made two decisions that started the ball rolling to the decision that was made on Friday. On July the 6th, 2013, at Davidson High School, I preached a message entitled, Moving Toward Sodom. And I talked about the decisions that the judges had made the Friday before that made us take a right turn exactly toward Sodom. Now, you know the two decisions they made? And, and, and we talked about them, and we said it was, they were wrong. The, the first thing they did was they struck down Proposition 8. Well, what was that? Now, get this. The liberal state of California, with 7 million people voting, had voted that marriage was between a man and a woman and that same-sex marriage was not legal in their state. California. But you know what the Supreme Court justice has said? That's unconstitutional. Even though 7 million people had voted it into their constitution, said that's not legal, and they struck it down, and same-sex marriage was restored to California. On that same day, they struck down DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. Do you realize that, I've forgotten the exact year it was, 300 of our legislators voted in the Defense of Marriage Act. And, quote, unquote, Bill Clinton signed it. He later said he made a mistake. Well, he don't know what he's doing, no way. <laughs> but the Defense of Marriage Act said marriage is between a man and a woman, and they defined it clearly, and the Defense of Marriage Act was passed by 300 legislators and signed by the president but these five liberal, ungodly judges, with one stroke, struck down Doma and said it's unconstitutional. And I remember in that message I preached, I listened to it on tape. You ought to get it and listen to it. It's called Moving Toward Sodom. I said, you know, we're waiting for the next shoe to fall. And that's going to be that these same judges one day will have before them a case about same-sex marriage. And they will declare that same-sex marriage is a constitutional right and that every state has to obey it. That was two years ago. And what I said would happen, and I prayed did, would not happen, happened this past Friday. So we need to understand that we just didn't wake up one day and get to this position. People had an agenda, and they worked toward that agenda, and they finally achieved it. Now, let, let me tell you the tragedy. I want you to listen to this carefully. From, Ju from, from 1998 to 2012, 30 states voted 
and put into their state constitution that marriage was between a man and a woman. They clearly defined marriage and would be the only marriage recognized in their state. 30 states from 1998 to 2012. There were a few states, Massachusetts and three or four others, and Washington, D.C., that voted to legalize marriage. But with one decision, five unelected, appointed people who had an agenda, who have always voted in favor of the gay agenda, these five people nullified the votes of 50 million people who had voted in their states that marriage as a constitutional amendment in their state that marriage was between a man and a woman. Five people tossed out the window the vote of 50 million people. You know, our government is broken. You know that, don't you? It's broken. Um, we're no longer governed by, there's supposed to be three branches of government. There's supposed to be the executive branch. God have mercy on us. <laughs> and I ain't going to tell you how I feel about that. Then there's the legislative branch, and then there's the judicial branch. Well, basically, we've got the executive branch in collusion with the judicial branch, totally ignoring the legislative branch and working their own agenda on the majority of people who don't want that agenda. So our government's broken. L let me tell you what uh, Justice Scalia, who voted against this amendment, said. Now, I want you to listen to this. He said, a system of government that makes the people subordinate to a committee of nine unelected lawyers does not deserve to be called a democracy. And it's not. And that, that was a dissenting judge. And boy, he had some things to say. You need to read what he said. He wasn't very nice in it. I'm going to be a lot nicer than he was. S judge Samuel Alito, who voted against this. You know what he said? I'm going to read his words. Five judges who voted basically ignored. Now listen to him. Now he was there in all the debate. Basically ignored and did irreparable damage and corrupted the Constitution. And I want to tell you the truth. I am absolutely convinced. Kennedy and those who voted with him they never, ever took the Constitution seriously. Never, ever. They twisted it. They already had their agenda. And the Constitution no more guarantees the right of a same-sex marriage than it does for me and you to try to ride a bicycle to the moon. It no more does that. But it didn't matter to them. We were not governed by the constitutional law. We're governed by the prejudices and liberal beliefs of five ungodly judges. I mean, that's it. Now, you know what I wish would happen? You know, and, I, and maybe it will. I wish in those 30 states where they put in their constitution that marriage was between a man and a woman and had it in their state constitution, I wish the governors would have enough guts to stand up and say, we will not obey your law. 
we will obey the law that was voted in by our people. Why can't they do that? Let me ask you a question. Do not, uh, is there no such thing as states' rights? Whatever happened? Why in the world did we vote as a state to say it's between a man and a woman when five people could strike it down? That's wrong. Hey, listen to me. It's wrong. And if you really want to get sick, I'm about through with this part because I'm, I'm glad. I want you to read the last paragraph when Judge Kennedy, who was a Reagan appointee and for three straight times has voted in favor of the gay movement, he, he, glorified, he glamorized it. I want you to read the last paragraph of his, of his uh, favorable ruling to this. It's like the words out of a cheap love novel. It'll make you sick. I challenge you to read it. You'll say, my, what has this got to do with the Constitution of the United States? I'm telling you, I read it. I said, this man has lost his mind. I want you to go read it and just see what I'm talking about. I couldn't believe. Well, okay. So now I've talked about how we got where we are. And you can tell I don't like it and I'm set with it. And anything I can do to change it, by the grace of God, I will. And you will too. Amen? Amen. We will. But let me tell you two, two verses the Lord gave me. Proverbs 29.2. I want you to listen to it. This is where I was all day Friday. But I'm, I'm getting out of it. Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Christians all over America mourned Friday. It was like somebody died. It did, a nation. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. But then I want you to go over to a great word of encouragement. So, turn to Psalm 30. And I want you to look at verse 5. Now, man, this encouraged me. It's just like the Lord just spoke this to my, to my heart, and I said, well, praise God. It was a sad day and a dark day this past Friday. But now, and we mourn because of it. But then you get over to Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. And this is what he gave me. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. God will have the final word. Man, you may mourn for the night, but joy will come in the morning. Well, I want to talk to you about the power of light. I just talked to you about the rule of darkness. But now I want to talk to you about the power of light. God makes it clear. Now, this, this, this is what I want you to leave here with. And I want this to be burning in your spirit. And I want it to affect the way you think and the way you live and the way you act. Matthew five fourteen through 16. Jesus said to his followers, God's word makes clear who his children are and what his purpose is for them on this earth. So God, it makes clear who you are if you're a child of God and what his purpose is 
for you here on earth. So we read in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. He's talking to individuals. He's talking to the church. Well, Lord, I want to tell you one thing. It sure is dark, and it seems like the darkness is winning right now. He said, just just, just hold it, hold it. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. What What a beautiful picture. You're going somewhere, and you know the city's out there, and all of a sudden off in the, in, the, in the distance you see the lights of the city. You can't hide it. It's there. He said, you know, believer, you're like a city that is set on a hill. Nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket. He said, no, you don't, you don't light a lamp and, and put it under the basket where the light can't shine. But what you do is you put it on a lampstand. Man, you get you a, a lampstand and, and you put that light on that lampstand so it can give out as much light as far as it can. He said, you, 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 don't, you don't put a light uh, under, uh, under a bushel, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he says it. This is what we're here for. And this is what we're going to do. In the days to come, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is a word for the body of Christ. Now, I want you to listen. It says that we are like a city set on the hill. You, you, can't, you can't cover that light up. And it says now, You're the light of the world, and you don't, under any conditions, put your light under a bushel. Don't you do that. Instead, what I want you to do is to put your light on a lampstand so that it will give light to everybody around you, and then they will see your Father in heaven and will glorify him. All right, here's the deal. There is no question. That as a result of this ruling, that the church will come under severe attack and the religious freedom that our nation was found on will be attacked from every side. It will be. And this is what they're going to say. Put your light under a bushel. Keep your light in your building. And, 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 you know, they, they hate the light because it exposes their evil. And so the pressure is going to be, okay, now you preach against homosexuality. You preach against lesbianism. You preach against same-sex uh, marriage. You're violating the constitutional rights of people. And so, therefore, you can be sued. You can be arrested. You know, and, and what they're going to do is they're going to try every way they can, subtly, by the threat of lawsuits and tech, they're going to do everything they can to make us put the light under the bushel. Do you understand? Do you understand? Guess what? We're not going to do it. Oh, no. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get a bigger lampstand. No, we are going, 
We're not going to be silent. Let me say one thing. I'll tell you one thing. I believe that this is going to wake up the people of God. You know what? It's not going to wake up dead, sterile, lifeless, Laodicea and religion. I mean, I have no time for that and don't even want to talk about it. This, what has happened, will not wake up dead, lifeless, Laodicean religion. That's all it is, religion. But it will. Let me tell you what it will do. It will wake up the body of Christ. It will. There's no question about it. And this is what we're going to say. And this is what we're going to say. Let me tell you something. You will not silence us. You will not silence us. We will not withdraw within our buildings. We will be bold. We will be courageous. We will let our light shine before men that they may glorify God that is in heaven. So if you think that you're going to put the church out of business, what you need to understand is you're only going to fire up the church and the army of God finally is going to wake up and start marching against the powers of darkness. It may be a small army, but I'll tell you one thing. A small army under the captainship of the Lord Jesus Christ is a mighty army. We're not going to lie down, y'all. I'm telling you, we are going to go to war. And, and you say, well, I, I'm going to re-enlist. Well, go ahead and re-enlist. But we're still going to war, I'm telling you. We are not going to put our lamp under a bushel. We're going to let it shine. We're going to be loving. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to be courageous. But we are going to be bold. In Jesus' name. Let me tell you who we are. I want you to look at John 8, 12. I'm I'm talking about we're light. That's our purpose here. And we let the light of Jesus shine through us. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we're, we live in a world of darkness, and Satan is the prince and the ruler of the darkness. But we are light in the darkness, and we will follow Jesus, and we will not embrace the darkness, but we will be the light of life. And so everywhere we go, we will be reminders to people that the darkness is evil and wrong, and that the light of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're John eighteen twelve people. We will follow Jesus. We will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. That's exactly who we are, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And then we're going to be Philippians two fifteen and 16 people. You know, it's amazing. God said, look, <laughs> time's going to come that you're going to be in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, and you're going to have to shine as lights in the world. Man, I saw this. I said, God, you know, <laughs> uh, that's right where we are. Listen to this. What am I saying to you? God has called us. Jesus has saved us. And God's purpose for us is to be the light of the world, to be a city set on the hill, and to let our light shine so that men will know there's a God in heaven, the God in heaven, and we'll we'll get the fear of God and we'll see the light of Christ. And, and, And so we've got a clear purpose and we've got a clear mandate. And then it says over in uh, uh, verse 14 of Philippians 2, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now listen to this, that you may become blameless. We got to live a godly life and harmless. The children of God without rebuke, without fault. Don't let the world point at us and say, 
you're not living a righteous life. You're not living a godless life. You're talking to me about sexual sin, and you're engaging in it yourself. It says here, we've got to be blameless and harmless. That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, verse 15, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, are you ready, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of truth, holding fast the word of life, that it may rejoice in the day of Christ, and I have not run or labored in vain. Well, I've got my orders, and I'm I'm giving you this church the orders from God. You're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill. Don't you put your light under a bushel. You put it on a lampstand, and you live without fault. You be blameless and harmless in a crooked and perverse nation. And you shine as light in this world. That's what God's called us to do. And I guarantee you, if we refuse to to be intimidated and bullied and pushed around by a bunch of ungodly people, then I guarantee you God will honor that and people will be saved and will come to know Jesus. All right, here's the next thing. Okay. So we know what our purpose is, why God saved us, and our purpose, okay? And we're depending on the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to do it in the flesh. Without Jesus, we're nothing. In Jesus, we're complete. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Through Jesus, we can do all things. It is Christ in us who gives us the power to be light. It's not light. It's the light of Jesus in us that shines through us. I'm not talking about works in the flesh. I'm talking about spirit-filled, spirit-led People of God, full of the Spirit of God, full of Jesus, who are light at work, light at school, light in their community, light every time they have a chance to shine. I am telling you, I'm talking about people who are walking in the Spirit of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. How is this going to affect our church? How will it affect us? What is going to be effect of this ruling on this body of believers? Well, I'm going to answer that question. In many ways, it's not going to affect us at all. I'm I'm telling you. Let me tell you why. See, we're going to continue. Stay with me now. How's it going to affect us? We're going to continue to love all people. We're going to love saved people. We're going to love lost people. It's not our love. It is the love of God in us. Jesus loves sinners. And so we're going to love people. How's it going to affect us? Not a bit here. We're going to keep loving people. We're not going to let, we're not going to walk in hate or prejudice or bitterness against anyone. Including those who have chosen to live in fornication, adultery, homosexuality. Lesbianism, transgender, we're not going to hate them. We're not going to speak with bitterness and anger and prejudice toward them. We're going to love them and pray for their salvation. Do you understand? And if you ever begin to operate in hate and bitterness and begin to use your tongue to put down these people, you are sinning against God, and you need to understand that. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, and pray for those who despitefully use you. So we're going to keep loving people. And I hope you do love people with the love of Jesus. But 
And while we're going to love people living in sexual sin, I want you to listen to me. At the same time that we love them, we will not compromise the word of God. We will not. And we will declare compassionately but boldly that all sexual behavior outside of marriage is a sin against God. Now, what part of that do they not, do they not understand? We're not picking on anybody. We're just simply saying that all sexual activity outside the realm of marriage uh, is sexual sin. It is wrong and it will never be right. We will, we will pray for all who are engaged and enslaved by sexual sin and ask them to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to Jesus Christ. That has always been our message, and it will not change. While we love people, we will declare adultery is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Lesbianism is a sin. Pornography is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. And we will not compromise that. We will, we will not ride that horse only, but we'll preach it as God tells us to, and we'll never back down, and it's wrong, and it'll never be right. And all of God's people said? Amen. That's exactly right. And so that's where we stand. And we, we, we've been preaching that all along. We haven't changed anything. That has been our message ever since we've been a church and ever since I've been preaching. Hey, we've not shown favoritism. We have just declared this is what God says and we preach the truth and will not compromise. It will not change our position on marriage as a church. See, we, we, this is our marriage policy. It's between a man and a woman who are Christians. It's between a man and a woman who give evidence that they're living a Christian life. And so marriage to us is sacred and it's a worship service. So we, we, we have not knowingly married unbelievers. We've not done that. When you come in, there's counseling. People ask you where you are in your faith. And if it's obvious that you're a child of God and a Christian and you both are, and you're going to be joined together by God, then our marriage, that's been our marriage policy all along, and it will not change. So we're not going to change our position on marriage and who we marry and who we marry. The second thing is it won't change our position on church membership. You see, we say to people when we have our new members class that the membership in this church is that you have been born again. You are truly saved by Jesus Christ, that Christ lives in you, that you've been baptized by immersion. And that's one of our distinct beliefs that maybe others don't, but it's precious to us. And that as far as you know, you're in fellowship with God and therefore can be in fellowship with the saints. And so we, we, we have a standard. That standard is not going to change. We are rewriting some wording in our bylaws and constitution to make it absolutely clear about human sexuality and marriage and about what it means to be a member of Luke 418. We pretty much have got it uh, refined by legal opinion and we will be bringing it to you. But, but our, 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 our position on marriage have, will not change. Our position on Church membership will not change. So we're not changing anything in that relation as a result of 
out that this decision. And we're not changing what we preach and the way we love people and the way we preach the whole counsel of God. So we're not going to change our position. All right? I tell you what will change. What will change as a result of this decision? We'll pray more. We'll pray more. Yeah, we're going to pray because the battle has been declared. We will be increasingly under attack. We will be threatened. We'll be bullied. But that, 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 the Lord is our barrier, our banner, so we're not worried about that. We're not concerned about that. We're going to pray more. And we're going to pray for spiritual awakening. The only hope for our nation is for God, the fear of God, to be restored to America. Did you know that? Maybe when judgment comes, the fear of God will come on America. I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to pray for spiritual awakening, that God would restore the fear of God to this nation. And you can't improve on Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We pray every Friday night. We pray on Thursday morning. We're going to be praying every Wednesday night as part of our services. We got warriors on the wall praying. We will call special times of prayer. Hey, we're going to pray more. And we're going to pray for a move of God in this nation. We're going to pray for it. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. I tell you what, Wednesday nights have become a powerful time when we look into the word of God and then we join our hearts in prayer. And I'm, I'm encouraging you, listen to me. I'm, you say, Brother Fred, I want to make a difference. Enlarge your prayer life. Enlarge your prayer life. Get alone with God. Pray that you will be the light, that God will make your light brighter. But then you start praying for, 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 for those in leadership. You start praying for, for revival to come to the nation. I'm telling you, revival is not going to come from electing a new president. We want to elect a godly, righteous president. Revival won't come from electing godly and righteous people to the House and Senate. We have a, a, a responsibility to God to elect righteous, godly people. We'll do that. But I'm not looking to them for revival. I'm not going to look to Egypt for help. Are you listening to me? I'm looking to God. Our hope is in the living God. He's done it before and he can do it again. Revival, the awakening of the people of God and the salvation of millions of souls. That's what we're going to be praying for. You say, Brother Fred, it'll never happen. You are full of unbelief and you need to repent. So we're going to pray more. That's what's going to change. We're going to pray more. And we're going to be more bold in our witness for Christ. I've decided, you know, I don't want to enthuse on people's time. And so you ain't got time to give uh, the gospel of John when you're checking out somewhere. You can't do that. But you know what you could simply say everywhere you go? You know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited about him. You, you can just say that to anybody. Don't tell them you're a Christian because they don't know what that means. No, please don't tell them that because they don't understand. They could be anything to anybody. But 
when you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's exciting to know him. You can say that in four or five seconds. We need to be much more bold in our witness, much more compassionate in our witness, very loving in our witness. But I'm telling you, we've got to pray more. We are, and we're going to be more consistently bold and articulate in our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you where we stand. This is, I finish up with this, and we're going to pray. I'm going to tell you where we stand. I told you our purpose, light. I told you how, what the Supreme Court decision affects us, how it does and does not. But now I want to tell you how, where we're going to stand. <clears throat> and you know this, and you agree with this, but I just want to say it and get it on record. And if anybody asks you, well, how y'all's, how y'all's church going to respond um, to uh, the Supreme Court ruling, said, I'm glad you asked. I got a CD that my pastor preached for 45 minutes. Why don't you listen to it and you know where we're going to stand? All right, here it is. We will not obey any law or engage in any practice that would cause us to disobey God's word. Now that's clear. We will not obey or engage in any practice that would cause us to disobey God's word. We ought to obey God rather than men. So that's where we stand. We will love, pray for, we will love our nation, we'll pray for our nation, we'll be godly citizens, and we will obey just laws. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. And we'll try to live out our church name. Have you ever thought about our church name? We need to live that out. Now, it talks about in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in Nazareth, before his hometown church, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. Now, this is our name, Luke 4.18. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Okay? We want to reach out to people of every economic strata, and we certainly don't want to overlook the poor. We'll preach the gospel to the poor. We will heal. We will seek by Jesus' power to heal the brokenhearted. This world is full of brokenhearted people. The devil breaks people's hearts and then steps on them and tries to grind them into the ground. He's a murderer, he's a thief, and he's a liar. But we seek by the power of Jesus to heal the brokenhearted, to give them joy the oil of joy for mourning, to give them hope for, for a lack of hope. So we're going to preach the gospel to the poor. We seek to minister to the brokenhearted. And we seem to proclaim liberty to the captives. Whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Oh, no, it doesn't bother me. Whoever commits sin becomes a slave of sin. So we preach deliverance to the captives. You know, Jesus can set you free from fornication. Jesus can set you free from adultery. 
Jesus can set you free from bitterness. Jesus can set you free from unforgiveness. Jesus can set you free from a homosexual lifestyle. Jesus can set you free from a lesbian lifestyle. Jesus came to deliver the captives. He came to set men free. And we preach the gospel that Jesus Christ can deliver and keep, and he is the deliverer, and that Jesus Christ can set you free from what has you bound. So we hope to live out Luke 4.18. Preach the gospel to the poor. Try to lift up and help the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. You can't be free. The covering of sight to the blind. That God not only heals spiritually, but he heals physically. And he also to set at liberty those who are discouraged. That, that, that verse basically is saying that God has called us to encourage those who are discouraged. He's called us to lift up those who are beaten down. He has called us to help bear the burdens of those who are under a heavy load. Listen, if we live out our, the name of our church, Luke 4.18, we will be pleasing to God and we will see the glory of God in this place. Well, there's a lot more I could have said. I'm glad I didn't. But I believe I said what God wanted me to say. I want you to think about it. I want to ask you a question. Now, you know where we're going. I hope you feel comfortable about going with us. But we're going. You say, Brother Fred, it'll be you and five others. We'll have a good time. (laughs) Aren't you glad we've got a chance to stand? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we can say to the world, our Christianity is not casual, comfortable Christianity. Our Christianity is we lay down our life for the gospel. And we're so thrilled. And if God just gives us the opportunity to lay down our lives for the gospel, we would be blessed people indeed. What a privilege. What a joy.